this is Patrick Daly and welcome to Interlinks. Interlinks is a program about connections, international business, supply chains and globalization and the effects these have had on our life, our work and our travel in recent times. Today on the show, we'll be talking to Teddy Bankston, the founder and director of Roundtable Studio based in Jerez de la Frontera in the Andalusia region of Southern Spain. So Roundtable Studio specializes in language services for Spanish and Brazilian Portuguese, which include translation, localization, uh, audio production uh, services, among others. Teddy himself is Swedish, and he set up RTS in Spain almost 14 years ago now in 2011. I think that's right. Uh, prior to that, Teddy had self, several corporate roles with companies such as Oracle, Microsoft and the Aldus Corporation, and as well as in Spain and in his native Sweden. He's also lived and worked in several other countries, including Argentina, Argentina, Scotland and Ireland. And maybe that is why he is holding what appears to be a pint of Guinness in his LinkedIn profile picture. <laughs> so welcome, Teddy, and thank you very much for being here with us today. Thank you, Patrick. A pleasure to be here with you. Is that actually a pint of Guinness you're holding? It is actually a pint of Guinness. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I like to refer to myself as an as an honorary Celt after spending uh, pretty much 10 years in Scotland and 10 years in Ireland. <laughs> and of course, when in Ireland, you have to do what the Irish do, right? Yes, Drink of Guinness. Yes, of course. Yes, of course. There were a few taken over the weekend as we uh, trounced France in the Six Nations. <laughs> I can imagine. Here, here in Dublin. So to, to kick off, uh, Teddy, could you tell me a little bit about your, your career and how a Swede came to be running a language and localization <laughs> services company in the south of Spain? It's, uh, as they say, it's a, it's a long story. Uh, and uh, I could probably keep on going for a couple of hours here, but I'll spare you that. <laughs> Yeah, so I, I I'm originally from Sweden. I grew up there, and uh, yeah, just uh, I, I studied languages, but not sort of with any particular focus on on translation or whatever. I actually wanted to become a journalist when I was uh, when I was younger, but very tricky to get into those kind of studies in in Sweden. Very few places available every year to uh, to study that. So uh, so I started working instead and got into uh, working in a ski shop and. Uh, and uh, various things. That was a bit of a hobby of mine at that time, alpine skiing. So, um, uh, and then I uh, I found myself in, uh, in in Edinburgh in Scotland. I visited a friend of mine, met some people there, and kind of got stuck in uh, in in Edinburgh. Uh, this was before, never mind pre Brexit. It was pre EU. <laughs> Oh, we're, talking, the, oh, we're talking 1970s type. Yeah, we're talking okay. about um, yeah, at least. Uh, early 80s yeah and uh, uh and of course then you don't have um it, it, you need a work permit to work in uh, in the uk in those days uh maybe you still do <laughs> well, you probably do again i don't know yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway so i found myself doing uh, lots of things uh worked as a courier i worked uh, behind a bar of course everyone needs to work behind a bar at some point in their life i think uh, that's a great learning experience, and uh, yeah, just did various bits and pieces, and uh, and then uh, one of the things I did as a bit of a side thing was to uh, to do uh, some English to Swedish translations, and uh, I was actually also registered as a Swedish teacher <laughs> with uh, with Berlitz, uh, the old Berlitz language schools uh -huh. in, in Edinburgh. 
And uh, there, um, a guy, con uh, they, they contacted me once and said that they had this guy wanting a week's intensive course in Swedish. So, uh, yeah, I signed up for that. And as it turns out, he was uh, a German guy who had been hired to set up the localization team for a company called Aldus, who had their European headquarters in, uh, in, uh, in Edinburgh. Probably best known products from Aldus is uh, PageMaker, which kind of still hangs around there. So uh, yeah, he uh, we had the course. He phoned me up the day late, the, the week later, asked if I'd be interested in applying for a job as a Swedish project leader in the localization team. So I said, yeah, that sounds cool. So uh, yeah, that's how I got into uh, to localization. That was uh, back in 1987. So it's been a while. Been a while, yeah. Yeah, so I spent uh, spent a number of years with them. Then I got then I uh, got an opportunity to move over to Microsoft with uh, in in Dublin. So I moved over to Ireland, uh, got close to the Guinness, and uh, <laughs> spent a few years at Microsoft, and then also then joined uh, Oracle, looking after their. I kind of combined their vendor management team uh, to, to look out or their suppliers of language services for their uh, for their translation and localization needs with their internal kind of uh, quality assurance language quality assurance team so uh, yeah I took over that role uh, built that up in oracle in uh, in dublin kind of yeah for, a, for about a seven year period up to 2003 when i got a crazy idea into my head to start up a company in argentina <laughs> selling language services the services that I kind of been used to, uh, to buying for larger organizations with a very, very simple concept. I kind of wanted to create the kind, I wanted to create the kind of company that I would like to buy services from. Okay. Very simple. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so I uh, went down to Argentina, set up the company there and uh, yeah, took off. Uh, and uh, yeah, things have been uh, been going well. We, of course, things always happen. Uh, Few uh, issues here and there, but uh, we're still still around. Some uh, and we'll be celebrating our twentieth twentieth uh, anniversary this year. And and what is localization exactly? And who needs that kind of service? What kind of work does it does it entail? Well, localization is effectively a term that was coined by the uh, the software industry to represent translation of the software products. It's, it wasn't called translation because there was additional work that needed to be done apart from just the tra translation in the traditional sense. It just, uh, it, since technolo technology is, uh, is of course very closely involved, uh, there was a, always needs to adapt the, locals, the, the local version of the software to, the, uh, to this situation in the, in the target markets. So it was not only about translation, which is, of course, just to render a text into uh, in in a, in a different language. But there are also many other things to consider for localization. Mm -hmm. And is localization today is it the preserve of wealthy corporates, or is it a service that SMEs do use or should avail of? I mentioned this because I was in uh, Spain a couple of years ago. And I was talking to a cooperative, a wine producing cooperative, and they wanted to export to English speaking countries. And they had produced a leaflet and it had been translated very awkwardly from <laughs> Spanish. There were lots of literal translations and it was really, really poor. 
and it, it would it would actually do them more harm than good to put that out there. So are those types of companies using these types of services? Should they? What, what's what's your take on that? Oh, of course, that uh, that that is a uh, it, it's a kind of a big topic, <laughs> and, uh, but I'll try to uh, to give you uh, give give you an idea about it. Certainly, I, I think it is important for any company to who, who goes to goes to the trouble of of translating or localizing its product or its service uh, to do it right. So that's something I always uh, always try to uh, to to. To convey at uh, when, when talking to industry people or, or whatever, translation is cheap. It only gets expensive when it's done wrong. Yes. <laughs> it can be expensive so that, in it can be expensive in reputational terms. Can't yeah, it? exactly, exactly. Because uh, you have so many things to think about when you uh, when you translate your content into a different language, because you spend a lot of time typically on creating the um uh the uh the content in the first place in in whatever that language that might be if it's in english or 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 of course could be it could be any language but you usually spend a lot of time a lot of effort getting that right and effectively the same thing needs to be done when you translate it of course the source is there so there's a lot of the groundwork has been done so it's not necessarily as complicated or as time consuming but still it needs to be done correctly and it needs to be done uh, by professional people. It is happens all too often that uh, companies say, "Oh, what is it? So and so uh, uh, is originally from uh, from from Germany, so they can trans they can translate into German." Not really recognizing the fact that translation is a is a is something that should be done by professionals. Mm -hmm. It's not not so easy as it seems. <laughs> No, it isn't. And, and some people have, have a, a naive uh, approach, well, various levels of naivety, some believing that you can literally, you know, translate word for word, which is an extreme naivety, but others even who, who appreciate that you can't do that, sometimes miss the, the, the nuances and the yeah. cultural references that sometimes are important. Yeah. I guess, depending on what you're, what, what you're, what the job is, right? Whether it, you know, for is sure. it a manual, sure. is it a leaflet, is it a brochure? What, what, yeah. What it is. And these days as well, you have the uh, technology of kind of created additional uh, options in terms of using machine translation, the Google Translate or, 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 uh, or whatever it might be, uh, uh, which of course, again, sounds like a very simple and, uh, and cost-effective uh, uh, proposition. But, uh, but again, something that everyone's need to recognize that although it is a very useful tool that can be very convenient, it is not a solution per se. It is something that okay, you can use machine translation, but then uh, then you need to uh, to edit it, to post edit uh, the uh, the work to have it have it reach a quality that is uh, uh, that that is right for uh, for the intended purpose. Of and course, if, if the intended purpose is simply to help someone to understand what something is all about, but without really giving any any significance to sort of accuracy, correctness, appropriateness, all of those kind of good things, then uh, then, then it's fine. You can you can use it for that. But if it is going to be used in any way commercially, then it needs to be uh, needs to be uh, reviewed and checked and uh, corrected by uh, by a professional linguist. And are, are your clients are the companies outside the Spanish and Portuguese speaking worlds who are looking to do business there or are they companies from those language regions looking to do business elsewhere, or are they both? The vast majority of our clients are 
sort of international companies, uh, typically most often with their with the source material in English, who uh, is wanting to reach the uh, the Latin American audience in particular. That's kind of what we specialize in. You mentioned there, of course, and I am based in Spain, but again, we set up the company in Argentina that is still uh, sort of the hub for our production activities in in Buenos Aires in uh, in Argentina. Uh, we also have a production office in in Brazil, and. Uh, I'm being the remote worker <laughs> even before the uh, the uh, re recent uh, times with uh, with uh, remote working and hybrid working and, and all you name it I just uh, I, I spent on I spent about 10 years in uh, in Buenos Aires after setting up the company there uh, but then came back to uh, to Europe because I'm Swedish my wife is uh, is uh, Irish so uh, we just needed to be a little bit closer to our families Argentina is uh, is a Great place, but uh, but a very very long way away from <laughs> from most other places apart from Latin America. It is, it is. But yeah, so our uh, our customers are mainly companies who are um, active in the the Latin American market or reaching out to that particular uh, that particular region. Ninety three point nine, Dublin South FM. What's the sales process? How do you how do you acquire and how do you retain clients? <laughs> That's a good question. It, um, it is, I mean, we, we kind of have taken a little bit of a different approach to, um, to, uh, to, to sales and marketing than, uh, than, than most other companies. It, again, it kind of stems back from what I said before about wanting to create the kind of company that I'd like to buy services from, having been used uh, to, be, to buy these services. And uh, whenever, whenever I went to visit a potential new supplier during my my uh, my my days on the client side of the business uh, i always wanted to see the, uh, an organization that was focused on production because that's where i wanted to spend my money so we've taken a slightly unusual approach in that we have never had a sales organization uh, i'm kind of yeah i'm, I'm sort of doing sales uh, i guess uh, as a as a part time activity but uh, but effectively, we try to uh, to grow our business by doing a great job for our clients, uh, building a reputation in the industry, and uh, sort of working. I guess you can call it a little bit more indirectly with sales than than directly. Interesting. So uh, at this juncture, twenty twenty three, looking into twenty twenty four, we've come out of the back of COVID and lots of disruption, and now there's war in Europe, and there's all sorts of instability out there so what are the major business issues and challenges that you, your particular business and your sector are facing now looking into the near-term future hmm. i mean in some ways it was quite interesting actually before the um, before the whole the covid thing started uh, we had kind of in the company already applied sort of a, a hybrid work uh, scenario for, for our employees since we had our main production hub, hub in Buenos Aires, which is a big city, uh, and uh, it's a real challenge for for people to uh, to, to get around and to uh, to to organize their their sort of private lives around uh, around work uh, and uh, whether it's commute or or whatever it might be is quite complicated. So, and since translation, uh, what we do is is something quite. Uh, what should we call it? It's kind of quite easy to uh, to deal with from uh, from working remotely. We have our 
uh, we, we can do it quite well. So we already had a, couple, a good few years before the uh, the, um, the pandemic started. Uh, we actually gave our uh, our employees the possibility of uh, of working from home up to two days a week. So when it happened, uh, it was kind of easier for us to adapt than than many others, since we kind of already had this in place. We had the systems uh, in place internally to support that type of a of a work model. And uh, and and people were were used to it already, so it wasn't such a great shock to us as it was for many other companies. Mm-hmm. And uh, what do you, you kind of alluded to this earlier, but what do you see as the role of technology, automation, and AI in the translation and localization business, and and how will it affect the types of work that the humans will do in this type of space? For sure, I mean we we are seeing uh, technology advance very very quickly. Uh, and uh, for sure, it is it, it is going to happen. It's already having it had for a number of years a great impact on what we do and how we work. I mentioned machine translation before. Uh, it is something that we have uh, that we have been again. We've been quite fortunate in that way since we started uh, working with machine translation. Uh, sort of very shortly after we uh, we started business, we started with machine translation back in two thousand and four. Uh, simply because we had a client who had a very, uh, a very uh, serious machine translation program internally, so we worked with them in terms of setting the uh, the engines up and preparing them to to put them into production and that type of thing. So, uh, so we we're kind of lucky to get into that uh, that that space very early. So we, uh, so yes, yeah, so we have a good sound knowledge and experience uh, uh, in in working with the machine translation technology and uh, again it's one of those things where you have to you kind of have to define how you're going to do it i think uh, there are there are companies out there who use machine translation and then uh, then post edit it and call it and call it translation and don't suggest that they are using machine translation but uh, but in our case, I mean, we we offer machine translation post editing as a service, so we kind of open with how um, how we uh, how we process their material quite simply. And in some in certain cases, it may be uh, it, it it's very feasible. It's very it's it's a good solution. And uh, but again, it it has to be on the under with, with a full understanding that that is how we're processing the material. Mm-hmm. Um, what about the topic of um, language learning and language acquisition within corporates? Is is the attitude for international corporates that, listen, English is the international language and everybody who's a manager has to learn that? Or are they being a bit more sophisticated about it? And is that is that an area that you guys get involved in or that you have an opinion on? Yeah, I mean, of course. I mean, it is very common in uh, in uh, in many companies that uh, that English is kind of the uh, the lingua franca that is uh, being used within the organization. And in fact, sort of even in our company where we kind of had all our activities, all our production in uh, in, uh, in in Buenos Aires to start with, and subsequently in Brazil, we've also we've always used. English as a, a as our company language because we are working in this particular business uh, with the, with language we need to be in contact with customers on an ongoing basis so it's kind of logical for us to work with English as a, as as sort of a normal communications language uh, internally as well as externally 
So, um, uh, but but yes, to go back to your question there, I think, yes, for sure, it is important that you have sort of a way to communicate efficiently within the organization. But I think there is also a strong focus these days on the realization that there are other languages out there. And in order to be successful in foreign markets, you need to translate them to look to translate your information or localize your products. Because there is uh, plenty of research out there that is uh, confirming that buyers of services or products in a particular uh, language market, that they are far more likely to buy a product if it is available with information in their own language, in their native language. So I think companies are realizing in order to be successful in foreign markets, they need to, they need to, uh, yeah, they need to uh, customize their products for those particular markets to be uh, to be gaining optimal success. And what what do you think is the the future of of this sector? Where are where are things going? Well, I think uh, as we said before, uh, AI and the technology solutions will continue to have a great impact, and it's probably going to go more and more rapidly as we as we move forward but at the same time we are generating much more information all the time so uh, so i think it's just a question of yeah i guess we can call it we need to adapt in terms of the uh, the services to provide provide and how we provide them i think there will continue to be a, a definite need for humans to interact in that process uh, and uh, so it's just a question of uh, Adapting to how technology advances to um, to uh, optimize your processes and figure out how can you make this as efficient as we possibly can. It will, uh, and it already is. It's leading to us being more productive, uh, and uh, and yeah, kind of just be able to do more, uh, uh, produce more. Uh, and uh, with the same amount of effort, but maybe by working differently. Interesting. So um, the, the last few minutes, I might just change tack and maybe just ask you a few questions about about yourself and your life outside of work. So <laughs> when you when you when you're not working, what kind of things do you like to to do in terms of hobbies and other interests and so on? <laughs> okay, uh, I've always kind of had a, a sort of a, a bit of a sporting interest in sports or, or whatever and i've been doing a lot of sports from uh, tennis squash football volleyball fencing <laughs> you name it these are all very kind of active sports and uh, and and these days i've uh, the 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 only thing i really do in terms of a sports hobby uh, is i still go still go skiing every uh just about once, at least once, uh, once a year or something like that. Uh, but otherwise, uh, I, I get out on the golf course. That's uh, <laughs> that's my that's my uh, that's about the extent of my sporting activity these days. <laughs> have, you skied, have you skied in Sierra Nevada? Oh yeah, we usually go up um, go up uh, sort of for for a long weekend or a week uh, every year in the winter season. It's such a I don't know. It's just such a you, you feel kind of 
very spoiled when you're uh, when you're in the southern Spain and you can jump into the car and you can uh, uh, go from being on the beach uh, to uh, to being on the ski slope uh, in, in about uh, three hours or something like that. Less if yeah. you're for, if you're closer to the to the Sierra Nevada side, but yeah. still quite remarkable. Yeah, yeah, no, I've been I've been telling some of my uh, skiing buddies here that you know you can do that, and they kind of don't really believe me, but <laughs> it's true. It's true. It's true. <laughs> So, uh, so why did you um, pick uh, Jerez, or I guess in the English-speaking world, this is uh, Jerez, or where Sherry comes from? So, why did you pick that place, and what's what are the advantages and disadvantages of that location? All right, yeah, that's a uh, yeah, it's it, it's a bit of a story to it actually. As I said, I've been in uh, been in Buenos Aires for uh, almost ten years, and the plan was always for my wife and myself to go back to Europe at some point, since we have fam- have family here. Uh, etc. And uh, but we weren't quite ready for an Irish or a Swedish climate, so uh, we kind of thought mm, Spain might be a good idea. And since we also got used to talking Spanish when we were in Buenos Aires, uh, so we, we we got on quite well with the with the language. So we thought, yeah, Spain could be a good idea. Good weather, good food, good wine. <laughs> Not so bad. But uh, but then we were in that strange situation of. Of yeah, not having a fixed destination, we could we could go anywhere. We could be, we just decided on Spain, uh, but could be anywhere. So we embarked on what I typically refer to as a process of um, process of elimination, and uh, we started off by eliminating Madrid and Barcelona, great cities, love them both. <laughs> but after uh, ten years in Buenos Aires, it kind of felt we've done our big city living. Uh, then we disqualified the uh, the northern part of Spain again, beautiful territory, be- beautiful uh, part of the part of the country there. But uh, but the climate is too Irish. Yeah, I lived I lived there for ten years myself. I know exactly what it's like. <laughs> so you you know what it's like, and you yeah. know the Irish climate as well, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and uh, then we uh, then we disqualified the whole sort of coastal stretch, kind of between. Valencia and Malaga, because we we wanted to experience Spain, <laughs> Spain proper, uh, and of course the uh, the whole coastal stretch there is is very influenced by by tourism, and uh, yeah, we, we just kind of wanted a, a sort of a real Spanish experience, and then we were largely guided by uh, finding schools that we thought were uh, suitable for our for our kids and. Uh, yeah, we came. Uh, we, yeah, we uh, we explored a little bit around, visited schools or whatever, and uh, eventually, yeah, we found a, a school that we liked in in Jerez de la Frontera. And uh, at the time, uh, they only had a place available for one of our two sons, um, and uh, uh, and we were visiting another location when I received a message saying that this school in Jerez, which we liked. Uh, a place that opened up for our other son as well. And we just took that as a sign and decided there and then that's it. <laughs> Decision made. <laughs> and it is uh, that, that part of Spain is very Spanish in that kind of um, stereotypical way, isn't it? You know, yeah. the, the music, it, the food, the architecture, the whole thing. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. I mean, it's really famous for uh, for three things. It's famous for the, uh, the sherry wine, of course, as you mentioned before, uh, Horses, the famous dancing horses. Uh, the riding school in Vienna actually uh, came up as an idea from uh, from the from the from the schools the school here in in Jerez. <laughs> uh, 
and uh, flamenco music being uh, being the third one. Exactly, exactly. So um, where, where can people find out more about RTS and, and the services that you provide? You can find uh, find that out uh, either via me or you can find me on LinkedIn. That's uh, that's very easy. I'm, <laughs> I'm available there. Or you can find uh, find uh, information also on our website, which is uh, roundtablestudio.net. That's uh, that's where you that that's where you find sort of some some basic information about the company and our services. Excellent. Well, many thanks, Teddy, for being here with us uh, today. It's been an absolute pleasure to chat with you again. Really, really nice talking to you, Patrick. Thanks also to our listeners for tuning in again today. And be aware that if you enjoyed this episode, you can find a full series of over, well, over 100 episodes at this stage on Interlinks, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Acast, and other major platforms. So until next time, keep well and stay safe.